listening to the Long Hollow Young Adults Podcast. We are the Young Adults Ministry at Long Hollow Church, located in Hendersonville, Tennessee. If you are interested in learning more about us or looking to attend one of our gatherings, you can follow us on Instagram at LHYoungAdults or visit longhollow.com for more information. And now, a message from our Young Adults Pastor, Dylan Young. go back to biology class in high school. One day in particular, this is a day that maybe you dreaded, maybe some of you, if you're, you know, maybe a little unique, you look forward to this day. I don't know. Um, I probably shouldn't have said that, but um, this is the day where you maybe brought a change of clothes with you to school. You made sure you had your goggles with you. You probably doubled up on the gloves that they gave you. You chose your partner very wisely, hoping they would do all the work. Talking about dissection day. See, I got, Ethan, I should have known, Ethan, you'd be the one. But y'all, this is, I don't care who you are, that's kind of a weird day for like a 17-year-old. Like you, you got this animal laying in front of you. For me, it was, a, they had, a, they were small pigs. Like I'm looking at this thing like, what, sorry. Like, I don't know what you did to deserve this, but you're like kind of turning your head as you start to make that first cut, like you're hoping nothing's gonna shoot out of there. Like you can smell it right now probably as you're standing back in your school's lab. Like this is not a situation most of you want to be in, but you dig around in there long enough, kind of halfway paying attention to what you're supposed to be doing until eventually the bell brings you salvation, right? Like you can escape this situation. You've cut up all over this animal that you've got in front of you, but now the bell has rung and you're able to escape and you can just throw that animal in the trash, right? Like there's no surgical class Afterwards, teaching you how to put this animal back together, teaching you how to bring it back to life because it is dead, it is long gone. Now, I think we would probably all agree we should not treat our faith in anything, especially our faith in Jesus, like we would a dissection frog, right? We don't wanna pull things apart and ask questions and have doubts and then never put anything back together and just throw it to the side. That's not how we want to go about this process of asking questions and having doubts. And I hope tonight what we can do is we we tie a bow around this series that we've been walking through where we've talked about so many different things in this realm of deconstruction is find a way to move forward. At least start that conversation of what it looks like to reconstruct our faith, to rebuild it, to make it stronger. You don't even have to be walking through doubts and questions for this stuff to be applicable, right? Like we all ought to be striving for a deeper, stronger relationship with Jesus. And that's exactly what I hope we'll see tonight. And if you wanna go ahead and be turning to John 6, you can be turning there. We're gonna look at this passage, see a conversation that Jesus is having with the people who are following him at the time. And there's gonna be two camps of people that show up in this story. There's a group that sticks with Jesus for the long haul, and there's a group that has a moment of decision where they decide to walk away. And what we wanna do is see what was the difference between those two parties? Like, what was it? Are there insights in this text that can show us, hey, here's some of the reasons these people walked away. Here's some of the reasons that these people stuck with Jesus. And the first principle within this passage that I want you to see is just this, everyone has faith. No matter who you are, everybody in the world has faith in something. Everybody's got faith. Maybe different things for different people, but everybody has it to some extent. Now, this this John 6 passage, this is one of my favorite passages, honestly, one that I've looked forward to preaching for a long time. 
but I have heard it used in deconstruction conversations. There's a place where the disciples, Jesus' disciples get to at the end, where they're gonna say, Jesus, where else are we gonna go? You have the words of eternal life. And that's great. But I've also heard people kind of use that like kind of in a, I don't know, looking at somebody considering walk away from the faith in a way that, hey, where else are you gonna go? Like, this is silly. Like, you need to stick with Jesus. And, and, I, and I want you to hear, if you're, if you're in that place in the room where maybe you're a skeptic of Christianity or if you're listening to this later, please know that is not where I'm trying to go with this passage. Like, I, I get where those people are coming from, but I, I want to handle it a little bit more gently than that. So don't write me off here at the beginning. Uh, but we're entering into this conversation. Jesus is teaching in the synagogue to his followers, and we're jumping in really at the end of the conversation. So we're gonna go back and see some of how we got here. But John chapter six, starting in verse 60, the word of God says this, therefore, when many of his disciples heard this, and we'll talk about what this is, they said, this teaching is hard. Who can accept it? Jumping down to verse 63, the words that I've spoken to you are spirit and are life, but there are some among you who don't believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning those who did not believe and those who would betray him. He said, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it's granted to them by the Father. Here's the moment, verse 66. From that moment, many of his disciples turned back and no longer accompanied him. That's the end result for those particular folks that had been checking Jesus out. And at this point in the story, as John has it laid out, here's what all they've witnessed with Jesus so far. Like they've been witness to five different miracles that John records at least so far. So he has, uh, he's healed a man's son. He's turned the water into wine. He healed a man who was disabled for 38 years. He, we had the feeding of the 5,000, which maybe you're familiar with, which was really more like 15 or 20,000 people when you threw in the families with uh, two fish and five loaves of bread. And that's, that's an important part of this story we're looking at tonight. And he's walked on water. So Jesus has a pretty good resume at this point. Like the people have witnessed all of these things. So what gets them to a place where they are walking away eventually? And as we learn in this dialogue, Jesus is going to continue to provide, like they're hoping Jesus is gonna to continue to provide bread like he did at that feeding of the 5,000. But what Jesus has started to tell them is, hey, that bread was great, but I am the bread of life. That's the dialogue they've been happening. That's the thing they're struggling to understand that eventually causes them to walk away. Eventually, Jesus calling himself the bread of life, it's something that they thought, man, that's, I don't really know what he's saying. Like, that feels like that's gonna take a lot of faith to buy into following this Jesus guy from here on out. It seems maybe too unreasonable. I wonder if that's maybe a place they got to. This guy's saying, well, what does he mean? He's the bread of life. That doesn't make any sense. But they, they had faith. They had faith. It was just in something other than Jesus in this scenario. It was in what they could see and feel and taste when they had that actual bread in their hands. They put their faith in the product that Jesus produced, right, instead of Jesus himself. Now, uh, uh, that brings me to uh, a thought here that I want to address for just a minute. And it's this idea that reason or, or science, if you will, is at odds with faith. So there's this science versus faith idea. And, and I want to try to address that for a minute. I think it's a perception that maybe is not reality, but that is definitely the perception out there. I'll give you one example. Richard Dawkins, he's a guy, he's a popular atheist. He's very outspoken. 
in his atheism. Here's how he described faith. He said, faith is like a mental illness, a great cop-out, the excuse to evade the need to think and evaluate evidence. Now, for one, I don't care for the insulting nature of the comment, but I want you to notice what he's saying there is that faith is something that happens by not thinking. So reasoned people are the ones who think and, and evaluate, and then people that live by faith don't use their brains. Like that's not an exaggeration. That's how the, that's how the conversation is set up. People in the secular realm are thinkers, people with faith do not think. We don't use our minds. We're just living by blind faith is how you'll often hear it described. And to give an illustration, a simple illustration of how this plays out sometimes, if you uh, I've seen studies on this, you, you come across strange things sometimes, but um, there's some interesting research on what happens when two people engage in sex. And that is not the direction any of you thought I was gonna go, is it? But what happens is you have this in you uh, called vasopressin. And when, when somebody engages in sex, both people produce vasopressin and what it does is it imprints this moment on you, becomes this bonding agent between the two people. But here's what happens whenever you have, start to have multiple sexual partners is each time you engage with a new partner, that vasopressin starts to lose some of its effectiveness. It's not able to bond with that person as effectively as it did with the one that you began with. So it's actually, that's a really good thing, right? That we see in science, like we're, we're wired for connection with people and it actually, our bodies work best when it's only with one person. That's great news, right? Everybody is intrigued by that when you present it from a scientific perspective. But if I would just stand here and tell a group of people that, hey, this is what scripture has been trying to tell you all along, that you ought to be faithful to one spouse for your entire life and only have one sexual partner. And that is the best way to live. That's gonna lead you to flourishing and fulfillment in life. Oh man, people are gonna write that off because that's just a faith statement, right? Y'all, I don't think science and faith are at odds. Like God and science are not enemies of one another. I want you to hear that tonight. This perceived divide between faith and reason, I see it as a false narrative in a lot of ways. And there's a guy, he's an Oxford professor. I got several quotes in here tonight that I want you to really soak in. This guy's name is Alistair McGrath. Here's how he describes this perceived divide between faith and reason he said, the idea that science and religion are in perpetual conflict is no longer taken seriously by any major historian of science. I don't think the divide is really there. It's just something that we have created, right? Now, here's the reality as a, there's a Harvard biologist. His name is Richard Lewontin. Here's how he said it. I think this is where the divide comes from. As he says it, people have a commitment already to their materialistic worldview. This is how he says, uh, people with nat that come to naturalistic conclusions, they do that because they have a prior commitment to materialism. That's faith, if you will. It's not that the methods and institutions of science somehow compel us to accept a material explanation of the phenomenal world, but on the contrary, we're forced by our a priori adherence to material causes. Here's the line. We cannot allow a divine foot in the door. We can't allow God into the conversation because that would wreck what we think. <laughs> we can't allow that to be true. We can't acknowledge that idea even. Y'all, I want you to hear it. That's faith. It's faith in materialism. And he even says it's not a faith that's necessarily based on evidence. 
Everybody has faith. Don't let someone write you off for having faith in something. There are zero people who have ever lived who operated totally without faith and totally just by materialistic belief. It's just not even possible. If you have a secular worldview, you operate with a faith in that secular worldview. And what I want to do for the next couple minutes is just point out a few sticking points within this secular naturalist uh, mindset like we've done throughout this series. And why am I doing this? My, my hope is that if you're in a place where you, you tend to trust uh, science, and I want to say that carefully, like I believe in science. I'm all for science. I just think it works together with God, right? But if you're somebody who tends to put your faith in science over God, I hope that you might hear some of these things and let it cause you to question that. Uh, maybe even consider if there's merit to some of these, some of these ideas um, that might draw you a little bit closer to the possibility of Jesus being who he said he was, right? And I'm really, what I'm doing is not trying to, prevent, uh, to present to you a, a defense of Christianity. What I wanna do is show that, man, maybe this reasoned scientific realm, maybe it isn't as clean and simple as many try to make it believe. When we just believe in what we see and that's what's true and that's it. I think maybe it's not quite that simple. And listen, if you're a follower of Jesus already, I want you to be encouraged that I don't think this, this, this conversation that is created, that reason and science, <laughs> they don't have the, curb, the, 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 the corner on the market of intelligence, right? Like you can be an intelligent person and follow Jesus. And I hope you'll hear that in these things. The, the first sticking point I want to present to you is just this. And maybe some of these... You know, my head's been in this world for a while. I know some of these might make your head hurt a little bit at your first hearing, but I hope some of these things can be a tool for you in conversations that you may come upon. But you know, a naturalist worldview cannot account for itself. The, the world, this worldview holds to the conviction that the material world, everything we see and observe, this is all there is. So we should only believe things that are true that we can prove by the scientific method. That's how we determine if things are true or not. But you cannot prove that that belief, that that conviction is true through the scientific method. You can't prove that by empirical methods, if you will. It can't account for itself. Sam Harris, Harris he's another popular atheist. He said this, atheism is simply an observation of the obvious. I would present to you that that is the very definition of blind faith. This is just obvious, so this is the conclusion. But I would say to you, it is not possible to prove that God does not exist, again, based on scientific empirical methods. So it should not be a possible definitive conclusion in the scientific realm that God does not exist. It's not possible to come to that conclusion. The third one, I've heard others who, uh, from their materialist worldview, come to the conclusion that there is no afterlife. But again, it's the same problem. This is, this is faith, but it is blind faith. You cannot prove by your scientific empirical methods that there is no afterlife. Not possible for you to prove that, so it should not be possible for you to come to the conclusion that that is in fact true. And the last one, I would just present to you that I think evolution itself has some questions to answer. Uh, like it's not as simple, it's, it feels like a foregone conclusion in culture, right? That evolution is the true thing, the true way things happened. Just don't think it's that simple. A few things to present to you. Quite simply, there are holes in the evolutionary tree. There's some big ones. 
Going back to Harvard again, there's a man, he's a paleontologist, he's an atheist, his name's Stephen J. Gold. Here's his admission. The extreme rarity of transitional forms in the fossil record persists, <laughs> pay attention to this line, this is the trade secret of paleontology. A secret is something you can't let out, right? This is the trade secret of paleontology, is the holes that there are. Like That's a really big statement from someone who believes and advocates for evolution. Again, he's basically saying he believes something that there really isn't a whole lot of evidence for. It's blind faith. Darwin himself doubted, <laughs> he had his doubts about evolution, not only because of the holes in the evolutionary tree that he acknowledged, but here's the philosophical side of things on this. Now, if you remember, God does not exist within this worldview. God doesn't exist here. And if we are evolutionary beings, everything that we have should be physical and emotional traits that help us to survive. That's the goal is survival. Yet many people, those of us in this room, believe in a God. So why do we ever have this thought of God? If this is an untrue thing, why would we even have that? Well, evolutionists would say that we came upon this belief to comfort us and that's how it helps us to survive. Okay, I'm, I'm okay with that idea, but where it falls apart is if we can come up, if our minds, our evolutionary minds can come up with an idea that is untrue, then can we trust any of the thoughts that our mind comes up with for us? If that's the case, then we should be doubting every thought that we have that pops into our mind. And that's what led Darwin himself to this quote. He says, within me, the horrid doubt always arises whether the convictions of a man's mind which has been developed from the mind of lower animals are of any value or at all trustworthy. Listen, I'm not saying all these things to pick on anyone. I just don't want any of you to trust in anything based on blind faith. I don't want you to do that. Nobody wants to live their life this way. And I don't want you to buy into something that the world is trying to sell you because they would tell you that following Jesus is blind faith and this is where the truth really lies. Please don't buy into that without doing some investigation yourself. We said it earlier in this series, but when you walk away from the Christian faith, the questions don't go away. Your new worldview now has to account for those same questions that you had. Just keep that in mind as you, if you're walking through a process of deconstruction. Now listen, if you had to boil this whole conversation down to one, uh, one particular subject, it would be Jesus's resurrection. Like there's no hiding it. If we don't have that, we don't have much, right? Our whole belief system hinges on Jesus's resurrection being a reality. And in part of their deconstruction story, the YouTubers Rhett and Link, who I know some of you are familiar with, they talked about miracles in general and they talked about uh, the, the, the resurrection specifically. And the way Rhett talked about it, he said he just couldn't believe that it happened because the way everybody tries to argue that it really happened was by using evidence and reason. He just doesn't think you can, you can prove a miracle using evidence and reason because they're two separate worlds. And if that's where you're at listening to this, I would just ask you, what would you like us to use? How would you like us to, to, to we're, we're trying to show that our faith is reasonable. How would you like us to do that if we can't use evidence and reason to do just that? And also, again, you cannot prove that miracles don't happen by using your empirical methods that you want to use. 
They can't account for it. You can't prove that they don't happen, but you can, through observation, show that a miracle probably did happen. You can do that. And the arguments that are so often presented that, to, to try to disprove Jesus' resurre- resurrection, you know, I just feel like they're lacking. So, so often you'll say Jesus didn't really die, or they, they went to the wrong tomb to try to find him, or his body was stolen. Listen, y'all, the Romans knew how to kill. They wouldn't have gone to the wrong tomb. That's a silly argument. Everybody, this was a big enough deal. Everybody would have known where Jesus' tomb was. And if the Romans could have produced Jesus' dead body, they would have. This was a major black eye to the Romans that this resurrection could have possibly happened. They would have produced Jesus' body. They would have found him if they could have. Never mind the fact that in 1 Corinthians 15, we see Paul saying, hey, if you're struggling to believe this, look, here are 500 plus names of people who saw him. You can go talk to him. He even says some, some have fallen asleep, some have died, but hey, the rest of these are alive. You can go talk to him. He names some of them. Go find these guys. You can ask them. They saw Jesus after he came back. Friends, don't let anyone tell you that your faith in Jesus is unreasonable. Don't listen to that. Don't let that voice get into your head that following Jesus is simple-minded or anything like that, because it is not. If Jesus was trying to create a bunch of simple-minded followers, y'all, he was terrible at it. Think about how he teaches. He's constantly teaching in parables that people are like, what is he trying to say? He's constantly answering questions with questions. He wanted his followers to think deeply. He wanted them to count the cost before following him. He doesn't want people who are just along for the miracles and the bread that he can produce. That's not who he's even looking for. The Christian faith, you know, this is not some haphazard feel-good group for those of us who want to find some friends. That is not what this is. Christianity is a belief in a person who showed himself to be God through his life, death, burial, and resurrection, and many other signs and wonders. And I think he has the authority to tell me how I ought to live my life. That is not unreasonable. Faith in Jesus, it is worth fighting for, and it is a reasonable thing to stake your life on. So, where do we go from here? If we do wanna stake our life on this Jesus person, how do we build that faith in that guy? How do we work through questions and doubts and come out stronger on the other end? And that's where we need to move in this passage. We need to look at the reconstruction side of things. We need to see these disciples who did stick around. Man, why did they stick around? And I think we can see where their focus was and that gives us great insight into how we can walk through any questions and doubts we have. Listen, they're listening to the same teaching all the rest of these people are. They probably got the same questions like, man, Jesus, this doesn't really feel like it's adding up to me. And yet they stick with Jesus. So why did they do it? Looking at verse 67, the disciples' response is this. So Jesus said to the 12, you don't wanna go away too, do you? Simon Peter answered, Lord, to whom will we go? You have the words of eternal life. We've come to believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. There are a couple of words in there that I think are really important. Whom and you. Listen, their focus is on a person. Their focus is on, hey, if we leave you, the person, Jesus, who else are we gonna go to? 
We've come to believe in you, Jesus. We've seen the evidence. We've seen everything that you've done and it's led us to believe this about you. Their faith is not in everything that Jesus can produce. Their faith is in Jesus. And that's where all of this has to start for us. That is the starting point of us strengthening our faith over and over and over again for the rest of our lives. You know, we said in our first message in this series that in order for us to walk through deconstruction in a healthy way, in a way that leads us closer and closer to Jesus, in a way that leads us to renovate our faith, that was some, that was some verbiage that we tried to use. If we wanna renovate our faith and not just demolish it, we gotta voice our doubts and our questions while we're in pursuit of Jesus. Like we keep trying to move forward. We keep trying to move closer and closer to him with our doubts and our questions. So what are some of these core ingredients that we're gonna need to, to keep walking towards Jesus and build up our faith? And the, the Barna group, they did some great research on this on what produces a resilient disciple or produces somebody whose faith is gonna stand the test of time. And you know, fair warning, these few things I'm about to tell you are not groundbreaking things. These are things that you probably already know to do. We just need to start doing them. <laughs> it can be as simple as that. And the first thing, the first part of reconstructing your faith is gonna be this, simply spending time with Jesus. You will not grow your relationship with Jesus without spending time with Jesus. And I think you know that, and I'm not gonna spend a whole bunch of time on this idea. Quite simply, we see Jesus do it earlier in this chapter. I believe it's verse 15. Jesus, he's the one says they're about to take him and make him king. And what does he do? He retreats by himself. So he can spend some time with the father. We would, if we wanna pursue Jesus, we gotta be doing the things Jesus did. That's what it looks like to pursue Jesus in this process. And y'all, to put it frankly, we gotta put our phones down and pick up our Bibles. And we gotta say no to things to clear up our calendars maybe. But whatever you've got to do, to start spending time with Jesus, if you're not doing it right now, man, do it. Your life depends on it. Please spend some time with the God of the universe. Whatever you gotta do, do it. You gotta spend time with Jesus. You gotta spend time with his church. You gotta commit to the church. And listen, I know we talked about church hurt. I know that happens. And it's not okay but we've still got to commit to the church. We need, we need you, if you're the one that's been hurt, we need you here so that we can make this thing even better. We need to make this thing look more like Jesus. So please be here. We've got to commit to the church. And again, if you're pursuing Jesus, we're doing the things Jesus did. Where was Jesus when he's teaching these things? He's in the synagogue. He's spending time at the house of God with the people of God. There, there, you can't, Jesus and the church are inseparable. You don't get one without the other. And according to that Barna research that I was talking about, of the resilient disciples that they studied, 82% of them said they had a firm commitment to a church body. That's a strong correlation. It's telling us something that we already knew, right? You gotta be committed to a church. Now, you know, this is why I tell you every single time we get together, hey, please let us help you get into a life group. I want you to find community here. Like this, I want this to be the place where you walk into and this is where your friends are. This is where you're walking with people, walking with Jesus side by side with people. That's why I do that. And I'm, I'm gonna say that every single time we get together, okay? Because I want you to get into some sort of group. Make sure you've got friends who are following after Jesus with you. The surefire way to not reconstruct your faith is to abandon the church. If you would like to keep moving forward in abandoning your faith, abandon the church. And I promise you, you, you probably will. You're probably gonna leave it all. 
but a, a really simple way. My boys helped me think about this the other day. I told Ford I had something I needed him to do today. His birthday was last week, and I had Tinker Toys when I was little. I don't know, was that even like a thing for y'all? Tinker Toys. Okay, good. That one had potential to fall flat right there. Uh, but I found this like vintage can of, it's a tin can of Tinker Toys. I'm like, my sons need those. They're going to grow up to be good men of God. They need Tinker Toys. Uh, but so we've been, for the last week, his birthday was last week, we've been building all sorts of stuff. And we sit there and we help him. We point out which piece needs to go next, help him see stuff he's missing, help him put the pieces together. Like they need to snap in a certain way and he's not strong enough to get it there a lot of the time. So we sit there and build together. And he built, I think he built a helicopter last week. And we got done building it. And he said, Dad, can you help me take it apart? And I just, without even thinking, I said, no, nah, you can do that yourself. Like it's, it's easy to pull these things apart. And I would tell you, hey man, if you want to pull apart your faith, you can do that all by yourself. Like that, that's not hard. The pieces come apart easily. You can ask questions all day long and just keep asking questions and keep asking questions. You can do that all by yourself. But, and if you want to grow closer to Jesus, if you want to build your faith, it has to happen in this context. There's no way around it. You got to be with the people of God in order to grow closer to God. We're going to do it together. You've probably heard it said before, man, there's no such thing as the Lone Ranger Christian. You're not going to do it by yourself. Please commit to the church. And listen, the, the next thing we got to do, there, there are four of these ideas that I have in mind. And the next one is this. We got to trust in God himself, not in our ideas about what God is like. We got to trust in God, not our ideas about God. Back to our passage again, if you look back through this conversation, I hope you will later. If you look back through this conversation Jesus is having with the people in the synagogue, you start to see people revealing their true allegiances here. They start to play, they start to show their cards a little bit. And Jesus is uncovering their motives as he talks to them. If you were to look back at verse 26, Jesus answers them. They're starting to be confused about what he's saying. He say, truly I tell you, you're, you're looking for me not because you saw the sign. So he's saying, not because you realized what was happening and realized, man, maybe I am who I say I am. You're following me because you ate the loaves and were filled. You're following me for what you got from me. Now Jesus goes on, he tries, he's trying to explain this further. The conversation continues, verse 34. They say, give us this bread always. Like they're, they're still hung up on the actual bread that he can give them. He says, this is everlasting bread. They, All right, okay, give us the bread. We want the bread. Sounds great. Jesus, Jesus is pointing out to him, hey, you're missing the point. The point was not the miracles themselves. The point was not what I produced. The point was that the what the miracles point to. The miracles point to Jesus. But again, in verse 52, at the end of this conversation, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? Now they're saying like, what is he talking about? Like, Jesus, we don't want to eat you. We want to eat the bread. They're real hung up on this thing. They can't wrap their minds around it. Look, the, the ones that walked away, they saw Jesus and appreciated the food. The ones who stuck by his side, man, they saw the food and they appreciated Jesus. That's the difference. That's the difference that's gonna help you reconstruct your faith. And the focus has got to be on Jesus himself, not our ideas about him and what he can produce for us. And one really simple example for this stage of life that you're in right now. Man, I know a lot of you probably wish you were sitting next to the person that you're pretty sure you're gonna marry right now. 
but you're not. Maybe you're frustrated with God thinking, hey God, I feel like I'm doing everything right. Why has this person not come along yet? Like, I feel like you know, I'm 19, like I should probably be engaged already. For one, I would tell you, <laughs> you're all right. Like you, you got time, okay? But listen, I want you to make sure if that's something that is a frustration between you and God, are you frustrated with God or are you frustrated with your idea of what God should be like? Like, don't hold God accountable for breaking a promise that he never made to you. And that could, be, that could be a whole lot of things. But man, I know that probably hits home with some of you right now. Like, don't, we can't ask God. We can't point the finger at him for breaking promises that he never made to us, okay? We've got to worship God and we've got to have our faith in God, not our ideas of what God should be like. And lastly, we're gonna to have to have patience with the process. If we're gonna reconstruct our faith, we gotta have patience and again, looking at where these people, I think, went wrong a little bit. If you look back in verse 41, how, how, it says they're ta- how it says they're actually talking in this conversation. Verse 41 says they grumbled. Verse 52 says they argued. And then listen, they've been, they've been looking at Jesus for a while now. They've been witnessing a lot of things in him. And in one conversation, they walk away. One conversation, they walk away. They didn't take the time to consider what Jesus might actually be trying to teach them. Like, y'all, they're hearing Jesus wants us to eat him. Guys, I think there's something deeper he's trying to teach them right here. Like Jesus is not trying to teach cannibalism of himself. There's something deeper going on here and they didn't take the time to consider it. They had their doubts and they had their questions and they said, this is a hard teaching and walked away. But look at the other disciples' response. The ones that stuck with him again. Again. <laughs> Their focus was on Jesus. To whom will we go? You have the words of eternal life. They, like they trusted Jesus and therefore they knew, hey, I don't understand this right now. Maybe I've got questions about this, but I trust you. I'm gonna trust that I can keep walking beside you and that the, the, all this will make sense in time. Something that was really encouraging that I came across as I was studying for this message was there's a theologian named N.T. Wright and he's a, a theologian at Oxford. In an interview I heard with him, they asked him this question, like, what do you do when you come across something in the Bible that maybe you don't understand, maybe that doesn't feel right to you, that you can't quite wrap your mind around? What do you do in that situation? N.T. Wright, theologian extraordinaire. And you would think his response from this brilliant mind, you would think it would be, you know what I do? I buckle down, I lock my office, and I don't come out until I figured it out because he can study this thing to, to the end, right? He can figure it out. That wasn't even close to his response. I loved what he said. And I'm like, okay, this is how I need to do things moving forward. Instead, he said, when he has a thought or something that he's struggling with, he said, what I do is I put it on the shelf and I keep it in the room where I can still see it, but I put it on the shelf and I'm not gonna let it weigh me down. And then he said, he'll pray something like this. Hey, Jesus, I don't quite understand this right now. I'm gonna keep it right there where I can still see it but I'm gonna keep following you and I'm gonna trust that in due time, you're gonna help me to understand that. I'm gonna trust that over time in your timing, as I keep following you, maybe you'll reveal to me what this means. And he keeps following after Jesus. Listen, again, we've said that before in this series, but please don't feel like you've got to get every question you have answered right now. Would you be patient and just keep following Jesus and trust that in his timing and he'll let you know what you need to know. It lets you know 
what you need to know. Y'all, I wanna, I wanna close this series by borrowing an illustration from a pastor named Brian Zond. And in this illustration, he talked about a day in 2019 when the headline of the day was that Our Lady is Burning. And Our Lady is the name that a lot of people refer to the Cathedral of Notre Dame in Paris, France. It's this beautiful building. But if you remember in 2019, it burned. Beautiful building. It started being constructed in the 1100s. It took about 200 years to complete it. And yet this fire, as you see in this picture, threatened to tear the whole thing down in just a matter of hours. You can see the Eiffel Tower behind it. Like this is a surreal scene. Like people are flooding the streets just looking at it. Like they can't believe what is happening to this unbelievable building. This has been a staple of Paris for 900 years, right? Like this is a big deal to the people. And the New York Times actually reported that it came within about 20 minutes of being a total loss. There was one thing that saved the building. There was a group of firefighters that needed to go up a burning bell tower in order to get into a strategic position to douse the building with water. That was the task. That was what had to take place in order to save this building. And there was actually a group of firefighters that turned it down. They said, man, it's too dangerous. We can't do that. But there was a second group of firefighters that volunteered and said, we'll do it. We'll do it. And they knew going into it, man, they're absolutely putting their life in the hands of this burning building (laughs) and hoping that the thing doesn't collapse on them. And they saved the building. They saved Notre Dame from being a total loss. Why? Why would you do that? It's just a building. As this Pastor Brian points out, there's a difference in a Walmart burning and Notre Dame burning. The difference is the magnificence of what is at stake. This is a magnificent building that was worth saving because some things, some things are worth saving. Some things are worth fighting for. Some things are worth going through, even a hard, dangerous process in order to preserve it. Man, I would tell you, your faith in Jesus is worth saving. Like your faith in a man who would die for you who would give his own life up for you, for your sake. Faith in that man is worth reconstructing. And it's worth reconstructing because Jesus himself is beautiful and he is worthy. Let me pray for you guys. Jesus, I pray tonight that we would believe just that that we would believe that the life you lived and the person that you are is beautiful. God, we don't want a world without you. We don't want a world that burns everything down, including you. We want a world with you in it. We want a world with you at the center of it. And God, I pray that everybody in this room tonight would leave wanting more of you. God, would we do whatever we have to do to strengthen our relationship with you. Lord, if there's somebody in the room who is walking through questions and doubts right now, and Lord, I'm sure there is somebody. God, I pray that you would show them the way forward, that you would show them that you're still trustworthy, that even if they feel like kind of keeping you at arm's length right now, that that's okay, that you're, that you're gonna be there waiting when they're ready to come back to you.
Lord, you don't leave us because we have doubts about you. And we're really thankful for that. And I pray that we would believe it, that we would believe that that is true, that we would live our lives in light of it. God, thank you for the truth that you love us enough to die for us, that we have salvation through you and it's a free gift that we don't have to earn and we can't lose it. Jesus, you're a good God. And we love you. And we pray it all in your holy name. Amen.